Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We're in week two of Start Here, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and we're going to be focusing on verses 28 through 31. This is week two. Last week, we talked about how, how Jesus went to Peter in the middle of his failure or his feelings of failure. How many identify with feelings of failure, right? If you're a parent, you've had many feelings of failure like I have, I'm sure, at many times. Because you always want to do better. You always think there's so much you can do. And so we talked about, uh, about Peter uh, and how Jesus came and he found him and he recommissioned him and uh, deployed him, and, and uh, so much that you can go back and watch that online or, or listen to it on our podcast, but uh, so much there. This week, now we're diving into uh, to this, where it's, it's one of my favorite verses, and it really deals with the heart of the, uh, heart of the measure, and before I head in, I want to throw a book mention. Uh, one of my favorite books, probably for the last 20 years, a book that was, that was written 20 years ago by Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard was an ordained minister, and also, a, uh, he, he led the, philo- the philosophy department at the University of Southern California, an amazing author. He's an author that, uh, that you'll probably find that you've got to kind of dig in and just really read and reread and reread. I've read that book many times. And this past week, there's two chapters that deal with the heart. And I found myself just reading it and reading it again. And you ever come to those books, you get a paragraph and you read it and you go, I don't think I fully understand it yet, so I'm going over it, Right. It's that kind of a book. It's, it's, a, it's a deep book, so much there, but I really encourage you to do that. I'll be referencing it quite a bit, as much as I can, but just a powerful book. And he talks about there, he, he starts off the whole book by, by starting about how when we read the New Testament, we see these amazing lives of men and women. Men and women who gave all for Christ and followed them, and we see this amazing life to the full. When we follow the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus, thousands of people followed him and saw these amazing miracles and experienced his amazing lives. And even for those who followed him, their lives were so radically transformed that people would call them Christians, meaning that they were like Christ, that there was such a difference of before Christ and after Christ. It was a radical transformation. You know, we see how when, when, when Paul talked about it, Paul talked about how b- believers would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that they may be filled with the fullness of God by the power at work within us that is able to accomplish far more than we can ever ask or imagine or hope for. When James, James said the following Christ was so incredible that he even said to consider it all joy when you fall in, into trials, when you experience trials, because they're, the testing is good for us. It builds endurance in us, and that's something we could be joyful. How many are joyful for all the trials and tests in your life? You're like, yes, more please. That's what I want, right? When Paul talked about it, Paul talked about how believers, um, I already said that one, so let's go on to Peter. You ready for Peter? Here we go. I need one more cup of coffee this morning. Peter said that those who love and trust Jesus, he said they rejoice with an indescribable and a glorious joy, with genuine mutual love pouring from the hearts. He said that even ridding themselves of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander, even silencing scoffers at the way of Christ by simply doing what is right. And he said that even casting all their, all their anxieties upon God because he cares for us. This is what we see, this is what we read. When we look at that New Testament, we, we see this, these amazing accounts of how lives were radically transformed. But the challenge that I think so many have in our day and times is that they see this disconnect between what they read or what people talk about how your life should be and what they actually experience. There seems to be this big disconnect of how life is supposed to be, this John 10, 10 life to the full, but yet sometimes it seems like a puzzle, like we haven't quite figured it out or it's beyond us or it's not quite there for so many. So many read this and they fail to experience it. And I've even heard some people say that, you know, I've tried that Christian thing, I've tried going to church thing, and it just didn't work. Have you ever heard that before? I, I hear it a lot. Not from my wife, but, but I hear it a lot from... <laughs> From people that I talk to about, about Christ or about my experiences and those types of things. 
But it makes me think about the, the uh, G.K. Chesterton quote, probably one of my favorite quotes. And he said that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Did you catch that? The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. What Chesterton is talking about, he's saying that the experience of Christianity, the experience that so many fall into, is it's not so much that Christianity didn't work as much as once we hit a hard spot, once we hit difficulty, once we hit what James talks about, trials and temptations, that we just give up. For those of us who've walked with Christ for any amount of time and we've really dug in, we know that it's often in those difficult times, those trial times, that that's when we often see Jesus the most clearly because we see the miracles, we experience those walking on water type of experiences that Christ has for us, but we have to be willing to stay in the moment, we have to be willing to continue to trust Jesus in this. And this is not something that if we just try harder, we just do more. So this is not a try harder, this is not a do more message. Because there are many people that they've thought, well, maybe if I just try harder or if I just read more. That's not what it's about. What Jesus is calling us to is he's calling us to a radical transformation. And in this, in Mark chapter 12, what we're going to look at today in verses 20 to 31, Jesus is identifying the key in this. Mark 12, 28. It says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them all well asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I got a Lincoln Brewster song in my heart now. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. And before we dive into Jesus' answer today, I think it's important to pay attention to the question that was asked because when the, when the, when the scribe asked, it was a genuine question. It wasn't, there's was a lot of times that they were trying to trap Jesus, a lot of times they were trying to back him in a corner, but this was actually a genuine question that was asked. And when he asked which commandment is the most important, he wasn't just asking Jesus, you know, rank in order of, of importance, right? So if you had like the 10 most important, what's the number one at the top? That's not what he was asking. What the scribe was really asking, and when you dive into the commentaries, he, what he was really asking was, Jesus, which commandment supersedes everything and is incumbent upon all humanity, meaning including Gentiles, not just, the, not, not, just, not just for Jews, but for everybody. What is the commandment that supersedes everything and that is, is, is important, is incumbent upon all humanity? And questions like this, I think it's important to note that, especially in that day and age, that uh, asking respected teachers which commandment is the most important, this is a pretty common question, right? So this question, it didn't take Jesus off guard. It wasn't like something brand new, but this, it was common to have these dialogues with one another about, you know, which commandment is the most important. It was, it, it was, that, it was a way of diving in and learning it. And even 20 years earlier, Rabbi Hillel su- summarized the Torah in a, kind of a negative version of the golden rule. When, when he was asked this, he responded, he, he said, what you would not want to be done to you, do not do to your neighbor. Now, that's kind of, that's a negative way of saying the golden rule. And the golden rule is what, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How many of your mom or dad told you that when you were a kid, right? My mom said that every time I got in trouble, so I heard it every day. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This was, and he said that this is the entire Torah. Everything else is interpretation. But Jesus now, he's going deeper. And so when he says, he starts off with, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. What Jesus is doing, he begins by quoting what was known as Shema, which is, which is Hebrew, meaning to hear. This was quoted by every good, devout Jew every morning and every evening. Hero Israel, the Lord your, 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 our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, when we look at this, we see that four times, because there are four areas that are identified in this, four areas that Jesus pulls out, each one of them begins with the word all. And what this means is that Jesus is not just saying that we're, we're, we're simply to love God with these things, but we're commanded to love God from our heart. And there's a difference in worshiping with something, kind of a tool on the side that you pick up and say, no, I'm going to worship God from my heart. 
So in this first part of the series, we're, we're going to go right to the heart of things. <laughs> and we're going to start by looking at the heart, what the heart is and what that means for us. So, Father, we give you thanks for your word that you didn't just throw us out and say good luck, but you wrote it down for us. You wrote it down. And you've given us so much, uh, so many talented men and women who have come along and brought so many great resources and tools because you don't want us to miss it. And you've told us that when we gather together that we're to gather around your word, to learn your word, to hide it in our heart so that we may not sin against you. So, Lord, as we look at this word today, Lord, let the Holy Spirit illuminate it for us. Show us what you would say to us. Show us what you would speak to us. And Lord, as I share today, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. My God, my rock, my redeemer. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. So very quickly today, uh, let's start off with what is the heart? What is the heart? Well, when we talk about the heart, the heart is the center of all physical and spiritual life, right? When we talk about from the heart or with all your heart, we're talking about the center of physical and spiritual life. You know, physically, uh, every one of you have a heart. Every one of you have a heart. The heart is the center of our circulatory system. It moves blood with, that has the oxygen and the nutrients. And if your, if your heart stops working, uh, you stop working. Did you know that? My dad just got a pacemaker because even as it relates to a heart, if the heart gets out of rhythm, it can be working okay, but if things start getting out of alignment or whatever, you, you start having some very difficult problems. So at the age of 93, my dad had a pacemaker put in, and he's doing great, and the doctors say he'll have more energy, which my sisters say, may God help us all, because he's already full of energy and doing so many things, and it's amazing. So, this, they, so there's a physical heart, but spiritually, when we talk about spiritually what the heart is, we're talking about the center and the seat of all spiritual life. And a lot of times, even in the Bible or even just in general, you'll hear three words kind of mentioned that refer to it. You'll, you'll hear, of course, heart, but you also hear will and spirit. And these really kind of, they, they all refer to the same thing. Because the heart is the very nature of who we are. When we're talking about the heart, we're talking about the very nature of who we are. And all three parts, when we talk about the spirit, the spirit, this is the nature of who we are. Some will refer to it as the will. The will, this, 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 this refers to that, that, that power to initiate, right? You, how many of you have ever had a strong-willed child, right? They're always, they, they're initiating something. There's a strong will there. There's something happening there. And then the heart, this refers to its position. And all three of these come together. Again, Dallas Willard in his great book, Renovation of the Heart, he describes the heart this way. He says that the heart is the executive center of a human life. The heart is where decisions and choices are made for the whole person. That's its function. See, the heart is, is, is critical because whoever owns your heart owns you. If you want to own a person, you go for the heart. There's so many love songs, so many rock songs written about the heart, right? Because the heart is, is that driving force. The heart is what leads us. In Matthew 12, Jesus said that it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Another version says that the mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. You know, a lot of times people will try to control their mouth, right? But it's almost like trying to, trying to like if when I broke my elbow, the doctor just didn't put a Band-Aid on it and said that should do it. He went right to the source of what's happening. And as it relates to our mouth and everything else of our life, all those things are symptomatic. What's really going on is there's a heart problem. There's a heart challenge there because from the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the executive center for all of us. So, so the goal is not just to do behavior modification because behavior modification, you know, it's, 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 it's temporary at best. Jesus is saying, no, you begin. The first step is with the heart. You worship God with your heart. And the goal here is to transform your heart because, again, whatever owns your heart it owns you. But because the heart is so important, this is where the battleground is. The battleground is really for the heart. And I'm not just talking about spiritually here today. I'm talking about in the world today, there is a battle raging for the heart of every man, woman, and child. Dallas Willard, he, he reflects on just the whole terminology of what it means. He says, because the heart is so important as a battleground, 
And a common tactic is often to redefine or to change the meaning of the terminology. And politicians are experts at this, right? If, 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 if you're caught doing something, if you just change what that something means, then you're okay. You can get off, off the hook. I mean, there's millions spent in courtrooms trying to do that. Uh, but when Dallas Willard, when he reflects on this, he says that defining the heart in our modern-day culture is made triply difficult by the fact that the nature of a person is today a battlefield of conflicting academic, scientific, artistic, religious, legal, and political viewpoints. Let me, let me read that again. Defining the heart in our modern-day culture is made triply, triply difficult by the fact that the nature of a person is today a battlefield of conflicting academic, scientific, artistic, religious, legal, and political viewpoints. As I mentioned earlier, Dallas Willard, an academic himself, he acknowledges this. He says, it is the academic today that governs the idea systems of our world and opposes traditional views of human nature. Specifically, the Judeo-Christian or biblical understanding of human life. Now think about this was written 20 years ago. And I would say that this has even been ramped up in, in the last 20 years. He says, you'll hear many academics say there's no such thing as a human nature or that human beings do not even have a nature. It then becomes a part of the unchecked political and moral rage against identity that characterizes modern life. And then he says, this is a rage predicated upon the idea that identity restricts freedom. It's predicated upon the whole idea that identity restricts freedom, and I want to talk about that just briefly this morning. But the idea that identity restricts freedom, I want you to know, it's a lie from the enemy. It is a bold-faced lie from the enemy that was devised to destroy us because everything, the enemy is out to destroy us. The enemy is out to destroy you, your family, our children. And this is one of the key lies that I believe right now in our culture and even in many of our schools that is being used. It is a lie that is especially targeted at our children, and it is why we need to have clarity on our identity, the heart of a person. See, God has created us. I'm blessed to be a dad of four children, and I was, I was there for all the moments of birth. And what I quoted earlier in Psalm 139, how we were fearfully and wonderfully made, is the truth of God. Do you know that I have friends who were atheists until they had children? <laughs> Seriously, I have friends who were atheists until they had children because when they went through that whole process and seeing that, they were like, there's more going on here than I thought. There's more going on here than I thought. See, God has created us and placed within us gifts and talents to be used for his purpose. Who we are, our gender, our nature, it is so important because it is a sacred matter, and it's sacred because it's something that was decided and placed there by God. You're not a fluke, you're not an accident. The Bible says that you are made, every one of you, every man, woman, child, in this building, outside of this building, every human, or as they say in Jersey, every human, okay, out there, made in the image of God. If you want to see what God looks like, Look at all the humans around the world. Every color, every tribe, every nation, everything made in the image of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And again, Psalm 139, I quoted it earlier. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my, in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Verse 15 says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me. Before I was born, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. God, he knew you before you were born. He was intimately involved in the process of being knit, being formed, everything for us. That's who God is. He loves us, and he made us, and is beyond anything that we can ever ask, hope, or imagine for. And as much as science knows about that process, there's still so much that science doesn't know. 
You know, my wife and I, we went through in, the, the, the whole infertility process for eight plus years. And we would talk with all these doctors and specialists. And they would come to a point, you know, there's, there's things that we know, but there's so much more that we don't know. It is a miracle gift of God. And I would say even in that painful process, God met us. He was with us. And he walked us through it, and he's still walking us through those things because he loves us. Your nature was decided by God. It is a sacred thing that as as a body of Christ, we need to never forget. We need to be loving in that. I have friends, I have family that believe they can choose their nature or believe that so many different things as it relates to LGBTQ, AI+, and beyond. As the body of Christ, and this just creates an opportunity for me to say, we need to be loving of all things. We need to be certain not to rank sins, because when you read through Romans, you see that the sin of homosexuality is also placed in the same verse with the sin of disobeying their parents. How many disobey their parents? Okay. And the rest of you, you never disobeyed your parents. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love my mom and dad, but uh, there was stuff I did. <laughs> I went through. And the grace of God is there. We need to be loving, but we also need to be clear. We need to be clear for our children that that's not how the Lord made us. Now, there are many things that get to that point, and we can't get into all of, all of that today, but it's important to have clarity that it's, sin is missing the mark. And I think it's important for us to be clear, but also to be loving and not judgmental because there's ways that I miss the mark. And we all miss the mark. And we welcome people into a process. Amen? Are you with me in that? I think so many times when we try to rank sins and make it greater than the other, that's legalism where we will we'll put some, your sin's worse than mine. Mine's sin is just this, so I'm not as bad as you are. No, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but it's all, it's all sin. And as it relates to this, it's a, it's a sacred issue. God places it. God. And wherever people are, we walk with them together. Amen? Amen. So why is the heart so important? The heart is so important because when we discover and when we accept who God made us, we're not restricted in our freedom. <laughs> right? Rules don't restrict us. I mean, think about a football team. This is football season. How, how many Seahawks fans we got going on here today? All right? We got some jerseys going on. The glory of the Lord's in this place, and we know it, okay? So we imagine, the, you know, watching a game that didn't have any rules. You can put as many players on the field as you want. You can, you, know, you can pass the ball as many times as you want. You can just kind of do whatever you want. Would you enjoy watching that game? No, you'd be appalled. You'd be like, where's the ref? It's actually the rules of the game that provide enjoyment and that enable players to bring out their gifts and to pour into it and become better players. When there's no rules, when there's no guidelines there, we don't flourish. Because there are ways that we were made to operate, ways that we were made to play. And the whole idea that rules bring, bring restriction, no, it brings freedom. Now, misapplied rules can. Rules that were placed in order to condemn us or to, or to, or to in, in some way diminish who we are in Christ. But w- the way that we were made, identifying the nature of, identifying the way that God's made us, it actually brings freedom. I mean, if you've, ever, if you've ever played church basketball league, you know the frustration of people not following the rules, Okay? You practice hard for your shot. You ran four days a week to get in shape, and then you go up to take a shot, and someone hits you in the arm. Not at this church, but, you know, other places. It's just chaos, and it's so frustrating. I mean, even in music, I love jazz. Come on, jazz people, you know. Jazz, I mean, what a gift from the Lord. But I remember listening the first time to this uh, to, to uh, I think it was Bill Evans just improving all over the place. And to the untrained ear, it may just sound like he's throwing at all, the, all these notes on the piano and just kind of going wild. But actually, the giftedness of Bill Evans, he's, he's actually improving around a set chart that is actually there. The band has a chart. He's playing notes that fit within the chord or they're leading tones into it. And a lot of music terminology that I'll, I'll save you from right now. But it's actually laying it out and the order of it that allows great artists like Bill Evans and Charlie Parker and so many others to improv around that, but they're actually improving within the gift and the order and the discipline of music. See, 
artists work ruthlessly to develop their craft within these disciplines. We think that we find freedom by placing ourselves in charge at times, where freedom means that I'm in charge. But again, we're getting back to the sacred order of things. God is the one who made us, and we find our freedom as we surrender to him. And I think so many times where we often become stressed and overpressured because we're trying to put ourselves in the seat that was designed for God. I'm, I'm not God. I'm not your savior. I'm a terrible savior. And even as it relates, if you've ever been sharing your faith with others and you found yourself very frustrated, you have to be careful not to put yourself in the savior seat or in the decision seat for them or to try to manipulate and make somebody do something that they're not actually doing. Because, see, you can manipulate somebody, and you can get the right answers out there, but if it's not them, if it's not that heart change, there's nothing there. And we wonder why, why people struggle. Love is not manipulation. So we don't place ourselves in the place of a Savior. We don't place ourselves in that God seat because we can't sustain it. When we live only for ourselves, we end up hurting ourselves, and we hurt, end up hurting those around us. That's why as it relates to this, Jesus said, if your first concern is to just look after yourself, uh, you'll never find yourself. How true is that? If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Isn't that powerful? If you're only about yourself, right? Every time that I have someone cut me off on the freeway, I say something I probably shouldn't say, but I always say, narcissists of the world, unite, you know. Um, my kids are like, what, what, what does that mean, Dad? If we only look out for ourselves to try to get ahead of somebody, to try to put it in, we'll never find ourselves. Listen to the words of Jesus, but if you forget about yourself and you look to me, you'll find yourself and me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that your life is found in surrendering to me, in following me. I made you. I know you. I know what was made to make you tick, to make you come alive. See, the heart is so important because it's the part that God first looks at. When God looks to us, he looks at the heart. We get this from when Israel was, was looking for its next king. Saul had made some bad choices and was losing the throne, and it was time for a new king to come up. So when they were looking for a new king, God sent Samuel to Jesse to pick out for one of his sons, right? And so, and so uh, Samuel looked at one of Jesse's older sons, and he thought, this has to be the one, because Jesse, he lined up most of his sons. He lined up the, you know, the, the, the strongest, the brightest, the strongest. And so Samuel going through, he sees someone who looks good, and he says, this has to be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the, on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Why is the heart so important? Well, we've been, we've been uh, talking about this morning. It's so important because it's the heart that leads us, right? That's why the Bible says to guard your heart Above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, with David, he was overlooked because, because he was the baby of the family. How many babies of the family we got here? All right, you know. He was overlooked because he was younger, and he's just the guy that we sent out to take care of the sheep, and he's out on the hillside somewhere. There were those who were around him who were older, they were stronger. Physically, they were more experienced. And these are all good things. These are all important tactics, but the heart is the most important. I mean, I, well, I think one of the leadership lessons that, that uh, I had so many mentors, they would talk about this, is they're like, you know, Dwayne, talent and techniques and all these things, they can be taught. But if the heart is wrong, all those are useless because there's nothing to stand on. This is, what it's, this is what it stands from. I had one person explain to me one time that, you know, as I was talking about different things in music and I was wanting to make it complicated, I was wanting to have all these things going out there, and he sat me down and he just looked at me and he said, you know, it's like making a cake, you know? He said, when you make a cake, he said, if the flour's bad, the whole cake is bad. <laughs> I was like, Kr. what was he saying? He was, he was like, if the core of it's wrong, it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how much icing you put on it, right? You ever watch those great British baking, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. 
yippers. If the flower is bad, if the corvette's bad, it doesn't matter how much decoration. You can decorate as much as you want, right? I can put a lot of hats on my head, but I'm still bald underneath. <laughs> I, I love hats, right? It's just, and there's nothing wrong with being bald. But what I'm saying is we can try to hide things, cover things up and put it there. God looks at the heart, right? If the heart is off, you're a liability because you, you can be fooled into thinking that the person is ready when they're really not. They can perform for a while, but when the pressure comes, the Bible says that when the rain comes, the house is washed away. What is it standing on? What is it standing on? That's why when Jesus came, so many looked to him to be a military leader, a conqueror. Just get them, Lord. Get all my enemies and get rid of them, then life will be good. And what did Jesus say? He said, I, I came here to save you. I didn't come here to condemn you. God can wipe the slate clean, but we need to be careful because judgment begins with us first. He's gracious, God. He's not slow, as some consider slow, but he's pouring out grace so that none would perish. That's why when he came, he came to save the, save the world and I think that's often one of the missing things in why so many times we've, we fall short of experiencing what God has for us. And it's why Jesus started with the heart. And when Jesus talked to people, he talked about them individually. He looked at the individual and he said, how is your heart? What are you doing? As much as they wanted to kind of put blame, he said, where are you? See, believing in God, it requires the surrendering of our heart. And I believe so many people have fallen victim to just saying, yeah, I believe in God and I'm a Christian. And there's no fruit in their life because there's no surrendered of the heart. Because if the heart is not surrendered, there's nothing there. You've tried to make a cake without having good flour. And it really, like every year, one of the things that I love doing is I love kind of doing things to check on our community and where we are. One of the things I do is I'll, I'll, I'll pull these, these reports from Barna, from Pew Research, from so many different studies. And, and I'm always surprised when, when I see that like in the 70s and at one point it's like 80% of America claims to be Christian. If 80% of us were truly surrendered in the heart for Christians, do you think Seattle would look different? <laughs> I mean, fully devoted believers, not living for ourselves, loving others. I look at myself, and there's times I look at myself, and I say, God, and I, I remember having this years, years, years ago, and it was, it was one, of, one of the catalysts for for bringing me back to Seattle. Seattle's always been home for me. And we lived here for several years and then left, the Lord brought us on this journey. And I left kind of like dragging my feet, but I knew the Lord was, was calling me to that. And then as the Lord was bringing me back, it was, it was a crossroads because I knew coming back, it, it, it would cost our kids. You know, there's a cost that you have personally as a dad, but when you look at your family, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm pulling my kids from a really good thing here. They were provided for in every way. They had so many great friends and relationships. And I really labored over that. And I spent probably two years praying through it and devoting it. Not because I didn't want to do it, but I said, Lord, what's my responsibility as a dad here? How do we do this? You know? and missionaries do go through this all the time. All the time. Because there's a cost. And in that whole process with a lot of great mentors and I remember one night I had this dream. And there were so many things in that dream, things that related to trust, but it was like I was in heaven, right? Because one day all of us will stand before the Lord to be judged on what we've done and what, and our, what we've done for the Lord. And I remember kind of going through that and, and the Lord just kind of laying out, you know, the things that I'd done for him and, and just reflecting on some wonderful years of ministry. And I was like, yes, that was, that was so much fun. Thank you for the opportunity. And I then remember the Lord pointing me over here and he said, now, if you had been fully devoted, here's what could have happened. And it struck me in the heart. 
Because was I committed? Yes, I was committed. But your commitment is always tested at the point that you say yes or no to the Lord. I'm not talking about being a Christian or not being a Christian here. I'm talking about how we live our life. Because for those of us who know the Lord, we, we should be beyond the am I just getting to heaven thing. We should be just getting to, Lord, am I fully obedient in every step? And the Lord was inviting me to this journey of just radical obedience, radical obedience of saying, this is what could have happened. And in that, he's saying, do you trust me with your kids? Do you trust that your yes to me is good, is better for your kids? Do you trust me that when you say no to me on this thing that I've called you to, that that's bad for your kids? And I was like, yes, Lord, I do, but I don't, I don't get it. And he brought me back and said, do you believe that when you say yes to me, whether you understand it or whether you, whether you understand and see everything or not, basically God was saying, do I, is there anything more that I need to do to prove to you who I am? That was a two-year process, and I'm so glad that as I walked through, I mean, this, this, this was like sleepless nights, you know? This was like at one point I went to my doctor, and I was like, am I suffering from depression? <laughs> you know, what's happening here? And, and went through a whole process of just that laboring, that intensity with God. And I'm telling you, I haven't done that perfectly. I need to die before I, I get perfect. That journey of walking it through, I wouldn't change it for anything. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of, way, lot of things that the Lord brought me through. But in that process of saying yes to God, it may scare you. It may cause you to let go of financial security, of relational security, of so many things, of even saying yes to things at times that may be a demotion. Because there were times that I explained to my family what I'm doing, and they're like, what are you doing? You know, you're leaving this wonderful church doing incredible ministry so that you can go and work at a coffee house in Seattle. What, is, what, what does that mean? But I felt like that's what God was calling me to do. It's that walk of faith. It's that surrendered heart. And again, I don't say that pat myself on the back. I've missed it so many times. But the journey that God had for me and the things that I learned in that process, the things that I learned about myself and who God was making me and things that he was pouring into me were priceless. And there's times I continue to go back to that and say, God, help me to, help me to step up in ways like that. When I'm tempted to compromise, when I'm tempted to kind of do things halfway, he's saying, no, there's no halfway. You're in or you're out. What do you want to do, Dwayne? What kind of life do you want? What kind of impact do you want to make with your life? And it all comes down to this issue, to that surrendered heart that if God owned your heart, he now leads you and you trust him. I remember talking to an artist years and years years ago that struggled with Christianity because they thought that you couldn't be an artist in the scene that he was wanting to go into and be a Christian. And so he walked away from Jesus. And my comment in that was, boy, imagine what the Lord would have had for you. Don't have a predetermined picture of what God would do. God is saying, yes, take a step, take a step, take a step. Because as you take that step, you grow and you're strengthened and your heart is transformed and you become different. And people begin to look at you and say, you're not like the person that you used to be. There is a work of God that's happening in your life. As you speak, you find yourself saying words that you didn't even know that were inside of you because now Jesus, he owns your heart, he owns your life, and he owns that will part of your heart that helps you to initiate to have the boldness that you need. And he owns that spirit part of your heart to where now your nature is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and the very center of your life is just pouring forth. Have you ever come across a person like that? I have, and it is, it is life-changing. It is inspiring, and it brings my knees and saying, God, let me follow you in that way. Show me how I need to follow you. Show me how I need to have that level of trust in my life. It doesn't mean that we do away with our mind. We're going to be talking about how we worship the Lord with our mind in our series, but everything comes back to the heart. Everything comes to this. As it relates to Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard, his path was that he was an ordained Southern Baptist ministry that God called him to leave the local church and to go into academia. And the impact that he has had 30 books later and the way that he has mentored in the path that God has for him is remarkable. But he could have just said, no, I'm going to stay here. 
I'm going to stay right here. I've already done the work. I'm already ordained God. Stay here. But God had a different path for him. God has a path for each of you that is uniquely designed and ordained by God. And that may take on several manifestations. But it begins with the heart. It begins with the heart. This is where we are transformed. This is when we have that life to the full. This is when we go through the New Testament and say, yes, we're experiencing these things because my heart is surrendered to God. It's not cookie-cutter Christianity. It's heart transformation that leads us, that guides us, that gives us that strength, that gives us that commitment, that saying yes to God is the best thing we can do for our kids, that saying yes to God is the best thing that we can do for our future, Saying yes to God is the best thing that we can do for our finances because he owns that. He controls that. There have been so many times that at the times when I've made less in my life that I've seen the provision of God come up in the radical ways that could not even be imagined, that you can't even put on a W-2 because it's just, it's remarkable how that works. Because he's my provider. He's not limited to money. It is amazing. And so many stories that I'll hold here, but just to wrap it up as the worship team comes today. My challenge to you is as we continue in the Start Here series, Jesus started with a heart. And I encourage you just to close your eyes, just to block everything out, silence your phone, and just allow the Lord just to speak to you in this moment because this is the heart issue. This is the part that we miss. This is the part that Western Christianity often misses is that surrendered life, that surrendered heart of, yes, Lord, I will trust you, Lord. I'm not going to follow a paycheck. I'm not going to follow anything that's out there. All those things are great, but it begins with me saying, yes, Lord, I trust you. And it's a matter of the heart. I think sometimes it gets so complicated that people say, I'm not experiencing the life that the Lord has for me because they've made it this complicated puzzle when it's just surrender the heart, yes to God. Because the, the greater the level of surrender of your heart, the wider the ears are open to hear the Lord. Because God speaks to us in our heart to empty it, to surrender it. Are you struggling to hear the Lord today? Empty your heart and surrender it to the Lord. Kick everything out but Jesus. But Jesus. Amen? Just take a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to sweep through you and just ask yourself, say, Jesus, is my, reveal to me any part of my heart that's not surrendered to you. Is there any part of your life that you've been holding on to that you sense the Holy Spirit and you sense the Lord leading you, but you're holding back because you're afraid to let go, you're afraid to trust? You know, Jesus prayed, teach me your way, give me an undivided heart. Is there any part of your heart that's divided today that you're struggling to trust? Just speak that to the Lord. Even now, speak that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. As it relates to the heart and recognizing that the heart is the control center, is the executive center of your life, ask yourself and invite the Holy Spirit to, t- to talk to you and answering the question, where am I tempted to take control? That's the issue, isn't it? Where am I tempted to take control? Maybe it's, in, it's often in your pain. Maybe you're not getting relief as quickly. Or, so you start taking control of your pain instead of letting the great physician do his work in you. Is it in the timeline? Hmm. Lord, we surrender everything to you today. We want to be about your will and your way and your plan. So speak, Lord, your servants. We are listening. And maybe you're here today and you're going, boy, I've, I've not surrendered my heart to the Lord or I've surrendered it and I've taken it back. Maybe you need to rededicate your life today to the Lord or 
maybe this is the first time for you, I'd like to invite you just to, just to raise your hand and say, I want to rededicate my life today and say, Lord, my heart is yours, or for the first time I want to dedicate. If that's you, just raise your hand high. Amen. Amen. Just hold them up. Amen. Anybody else courageous enough to step out in this way? You want to rededicate, or you want to give your heart to the Lord? Amen. If that's you, just, it begins with a prayer. Prayer is, is the word that's used to describe how we talk to God. Prayer is simply talking to God. And it just, it begins with confession. All healing begins with confession. You first have to recognize, this is where I'm at. <laughs> this is where I've missed the mark. And just saying, I, I know I've been, uh, I know I'm a, I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I believe you are Lord and you died for me. Asking the Lord to forgive you and then inviting him to fill. Can we just say this prayer together? This is our heart. Let's say this together. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you are Lord and that you died for me. Forgive me, Jesus. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Take control of my life, Lord. Lord, now thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Help me to walk with you. And help me to live for you in your name. Amen, amen. Can we all stand together? Let's just begin to thank the Lord and to worship him together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that when we confess that you are there to forgive us and empower us and, and to forgive us, to pay what we, we're, we're penniless to pay. Thank you for filling us with your spirit because we know that as we confess and as we receive, as we believe, that we receive this very spirit of God, it fills us. Fill us with your power. And now help us to walk with you forever. Forever. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just spend some time worshiping today. I love that line. Uh, show me who you are and fill me with your heart. That's what we've been talking about. And it says, and lead me in your love to those around me. I, um, this is something I've spent a lot of time just thinking about, praying about, and walking through. As it relates to reaching out and loving people who may think differently than us, may be caught in. I think one of my favorite illustrations was, it, um, was the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember that from the Bible? Right? The woman caught in adultery. You don't need to think very far to think about this is probably a woman who was victimized and used and abused in so many ways. And the religious leaders wanted to stone her to death. And they brought Jesus in thinking that they'll get him here because they had a law. We have a lot to learn from this because what's the first thing that Jesus did to this woman? He protected her. The first thing that Jesus did, he protected her. And I would say this, that for all of us, because, hello, my name is Dwayne, I'm a sinner. <laughs> we all have stuff. And I'm glad Jesus didn't start come running to me, chucking rocks at me, okay? That's what I did when I was eight years old, okay? But Jesus, he got down. He protected her. And then he looked to the accusers and said, you without sin cast the first stone, so... If you got a stone in your hand, you need to drop it. But he also, he didn't justify the sin. What did he say to her? Right. Forgave her of her sins. And then he said, now go and sin no more. We have a lot to learn as it relates to that, doesn't it? That I've seen so many times in my life, people I've walked through with so many things, especially the more visible that they are and that we see them, there's often great hurt behind that. And I say this just from my own experience as I've walked with people. There's often a lot of abuse behind that. Verbal, physical, sexual, what, whatever. And the Lord keeps bringing me back to the illustration. As it comes to reaching, he protects. 
but he doesn't coddle and say, that's okay. He goes, no. There's a forgiveness of sin because in order for healing to take place in me, in you, in our culture's life, there needs to be confession. We need to confess our sins to one another. Because confession brings healing. In order for your arm to be fixed, you need to say, I've got a problem. And then you fix it and you set it. And then there's a healing. You confess, you receive that forgiveness, but then there's now go and sin no more. There's a walking out in this, in that go. Let me encourage you that as we love our community to really take to heart those words. Because sometimes people see protection as justification. Is protection justification? No. But we don't omit the gospel because the power of the gospel is in confessing I'm a sinner and you're my savior and receiving that and coming alive. And sometimes that's the part that's missed. Because we either just protect and leave it there and the hurt continues or we just identify and we don't allow that confession and that receiving of forgiveness and the healing and the going and the working that out. That's why we have so many ministries like Celebrate Recovery, Hurts, Habits, and Hangups, Pure Desire, Helping Those Who Are Addicted to Porn, ministries like Life Group, <laughs> where you come together and we talk about things and we work them out. So Lord, help us as we walk. To walk in your ways, we're Christians. We're called to be like Christ. So Lord, help us in that as we walk to honor you and give glory to your name. Everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. Let's say this together. This is our benediction. Say this together, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 